Payment Fortune Weekly, Stories of Boys Who Make Money, Number 4, October 27, 1905, published by Frank Towsey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Game of Chance, or The Boy Who Won Out, by a Self-Made Man. Chapter 1 which introduces three important characters. "'Please let me pass, Mr. Jarvis,' said a pretty but plainly clad girl in a tone of remonstrance as she stepped back and endeavored to walk around a well-dressed but not over-prepossessing boy of seventeen years who had deliberately placed himself in her path. "'I've got something to say to you, Jesse Fairweather,' answered the boy, changing his position so as to block her progress. "'But I want to go home!' persisted the girl firmly. Pooh, you've lots of time. It's only half-past five. It's getting dark, and you have no right to detain me, protested the girl with no little indignation. You ought to be glad to be seen talking to me, said the youth loftily. You ought to be ashamed of yourself to annoy me in this way. Who's annoying you? You're only a factory girl. I'm not ashamed of that fact. I suppose you consider yourself a gentleman, the girl said scornfully. Of course I'm a gentleman, said the boy, elevating his chin proudly. I don't have to work, and my father is the most important man in this town. There was not the least doubt but that Lewis Jarvis had an excellent opinion of himself. His father, Squire Jarvis, was the foremost lawyer in town, a director of the National Bank, and a stockholder in the Northport Cotton Mills. He lived in one of the most pretentious houses in the exclusive residential district, and naturally was looked upon and deferred to as a man of wealth and influence. Lewis was impressed, as many boys are under such circumstances, with a sense of his own consequence. Particularly as being an only son, he was allowed his own way a good bit, and this made itself felt in his intercourse with his companions as well as all others of less social importance with whom he came in contact. Jessie Fairweather was an uncommonly pretty girl of sixteen years. She had laughing blue eyes and a creamy complexion, set off with a wealth of golden hair that streamed about her shapely shoulders. She was bright and piquant, and a general favorite among her companions. Indeed, everyone who had the slightest acquaintance with Miss Jenny liked her, for her disposition was lovable and her manners those of a little lady. She lived with her mother and a young sister in a small unpretentious cottage on the outskirts of Northport, for the Fairweathers were in very moderate circumstances, which accounted for the fact that Jessie was employed in the cotton mills. It is true Mrs. Fairweather owned the little house in which they lived, but this represented the sum total of their earthly possessions. Captain Edward Fairweather, the husband and father, was supposed to have been lost at sea, for since the day three years before he sailed for Boston Harbor in his good ship Morning Star, not a word had been heard of the vessel or crew. Although Lewis Jarvis associated with the better class of Northport's young people, he had what we may call a sneaking regard for Jessie Fairweather. Her good looks and attractive ways had impressed him, and he figured that because she was poor— she must naturally regard it as an honor for him to single her out from the other working girls. But Jessie did not look at the matter in that light. She had seen too much to dislike in Lewis Jarvis to regard him with favor, 
even if his father was reputed to be the richest man in Northport. Therefore she resented his impertinence in thrusting his company upon her that afternoon when she came out on the street through the employee's entrance to the factory yard. "'Then if you are a gentleman you will allow me to pass,' she said in response to Master Jarvis's lofty assertion. "'All right,' agreed Lewis, "'if you promise to let me see you home. I prefer to go home alone.' making another effort to get by him. "'Not when you can get that pauper Will Summers to go along with you,' cried the boy angrily, suddenly seizing her by the wrist. At that moment a gate near at hand swung open, and a boy about his own age, with a bright manly face, which, however, was somewhat disfigured by the grime of the engine room, clad in a pair of overalls and a check jumper, came out wheeling an iron barrow filled with ashes and clinkers. "'Let go of my hand, Mr. Jarvis,' cried Jessie, stamping her little foot resentfully. "'Will you let me go home with you?' "'No!' she cried with a defiant toss of her head. "'Then you can't go until I choose to let you,' he retorted angrily. "'How dare you treat me in this manner?' she cried with flashing eyes. "'Because I choose to do so.' The boy in the overalls and jumper had seen Lewis Jarvis grab Jesse Fairweather by the wrist and easily overheard all that followed. His natural chivalry toward the fair sex told him it was time to interfere, even without reference to the fact that he looked upon the girl as a particular friend. So he dropped the wheelbarrow, stepped up to the son of Northport's magnet, and laying his hand on his shoulder said with quiet determination, I think you had better let Miss Fairweather go home if she wants to. Lewis started back in some little trepidation, for he knew that he was in the wrong, and Jessie took advantage of the moment to snatch her hand from his grasp. But when he recognized who it was that had interfered, his brow grew as black as thundergust, and he snorted, "'What do you mean, you pauper, you? How dare you lay your dirty hand on me?' "'I interfered because you are annoying Miss Fairweather,' said the newcomer in straightforward tones." He raised his soft felt hat politely to the girl. "'You common fireman! I've a good mind to—' He doubled up his fists in a threatening manner, but the calm, undaunted look which the other gave him convinced Lewis that discretion was the better part of valor. "'How dare you butt in where you're not wanted! If you can convince me that I was in the wrong, I'm willing to apologize,' said the working lad with a genial smile. "'You are not in the wrong, Will Summers.' "'spoke up Jesse Fairweather quickly. "'Mr. Jarvis was acting in a very rude way to me, "'and I am very much obliged to you for coming to my aid.' "'You hear that, Lewis Jarvis?' said Will grimly. "'What have you to say for yourself?' "'None of your business what I have to say, "'but I'll tell you one thing, smart Alec. "'I'll get square with you for this.' "'All right,' responded Summers cheerfully. I think, however, you owe Miss Fairweather an apology for your conduct toward her. If you don't get down on your knees right now and beg my pardon for sticking your nose into my affairs, I'll see that you are discharged tomorrow from your job in the factory engine room, threatened Jarvis hotly. Much obliged for your kind intention, Lewis Jarvis, returned Will Summers disdainfully. But when I get down on my knees to you, just let me know, will you? Pah, you common laborer cried the squire's son in a rage. "'My father is one of the owners of this mill. He's only got to say the word to have you fired. I'll see that he does it,' he added vindictively. "'Your father isn't the only stockholder, nor the biggest one, Lewis Jarvis.' 
retorted Will calmly. I may be a common mechanic, as you say, but I understand my business here and attend to it, so I don't think the superintendent will discharge me without sufficient reason. Simply to oblige you isn't any reason at all. You'll see, replied Jarvis darkly, moving off without paying any further attention to Jesse Fairweather, who had not taken advantage of this controversy to continue on her way, but stood by, hoping her presence would prevent a serious mix-up between the two boys. Maybe there was another reason, too, for it was a fact that Jessie greatly admired young Will Summers. She knew he was a good boy, an earnest, hard worker, the sole support of a widowed mother and a younger brother and sister. She knew that everybody that knew Will liked him, because he was polite and gentlemanly to all, and considerate of the feelings of even the smallest girl or boy in the factory. She knew that a considerable part of his spare time was spent in study in order to better his condition. He had an eye to the future. Will Summers was generally recognized about the mills as a smart boy. He had lately invented an improvement in the damper regulator of the engine, which had proved an economizer of coal, and a patent for it had been applied for in his name by the superintendent, who, in recognition of his benefit in the engine room, had given him a welcome increase in salary. He was now at work on another scheme, designed to recover and utilize a larger percentage of the wasted steam. This was a project that engaged the attention of many of the brightest minds in the engineering line at that very moment, for it was known that by far the greater proportion of the units of the mist formed by condensed vapor, otherwise known as steam, went to waste. Consequently, any invention which would serve to utilize a larger number of those infinitesimal particles would prove of untold value in economizing the coal consumption. As Lewis Jarvis turned on his heel and strode away, his small mind brooding upon the retaliation he hoped to be able to inflict on the boy who had dared to cross him, Jessie walked up to Will and, holding out her hand, said, I hope you will understand that I am very grateful to you for what you did for me and I trust you will not get into any trouble over it. Don't worry about that, Jesse. I'm not afraid of anything Lewis Jarvis can do with such a lame excuse to work upon. I'm very glad I was able to be of service to you, for there is no girl I would sooner... And then he stopped in embarrassment. Thank you, she answered with just the suspicion of a blush. Isn't it most time for you to go home? Yes, if you wouldn't mind waiting a few minutes, I'll be happy to escort you home, he said eagerly. I'll wait, for it's getting quite dark now, and I should be glad to have you with me. Five minutes later, they left the yard of the engine house together. End of chapter one.